Hey y'all, this is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, the host of NPR's Invisibilia, Elise Spiegel, and Hannah Rosen. All right, let's start the show. Hey y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. To my guests and to the listeners too, happy weekend. Happy weekend. Yeah. I am so happy to announce that this episode is an Invisibilia takeover. We have Hannah Rosen and Elise Beagle, the hosts of this show. They're here. It is your show today. My show is your show. Let's start crying now. Yes. <laughs> like, let's just let's just cut to crying. Yes, yes. So your show, Invisibilia, the NPR podcast all about the unseeable forces that control human behavior. It's out with a new season right now. How does it feel? It feels good. It feels really good. Actually, I feel like this season, we had a weird growth situation going okay. on where we suddenly kind of grew in this way that was not expected, but I think is really exciting for everybody on the show. I'm excited about it. Uh, we are joined in studio today by the voice of Diana Ross. Do you hear her? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. playing Diana Ross in this song, Upside Down, because Diana Ross turned 75 years old a few days ago. Really? You hear about this? Yeah. yeah. her daughter posted some such good pictures of her. So, yeah, Diana turned 75 and had this big party where she had five costume changes. Uh, she had a duet with the likes of Stevie Wonder and Puff Daddy. Leo DiCaprio was there. Beyonce sang happy birthday to her. Ooh. And, like, that alone is enough to honor Miss Ross in the show today. But what I love even more is that she has been having herself a happy birthday basically all year. Uh So her birthday was like March 24th. But if you recall, at the Grammys last month on February 10th, uh, after a tribute to herself on stage, (laughs) she told herself happy birthday. We have the tape. Thank you. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. I think that's that's how I'm going to greet people from now on. Instead of saying hi, I'm going to swap that out with happy birthday to me. She looked so amazing at the Grammys. She really looked amazing. She did. But everyone was like, why are you wishing yourself a happy birthday a month and a half early? I guess to which she said, I'm Diana Ross. Exactly. That's always the answer. Any question you ask Diana Ross, that's the answer. Anyway, uh, we're going to start our week as we always do, asking each of our guests to describe the week of news in only three words. But, Hannah and Elise, because you two are like a package duo, uh, for the first time ever, the both of you will do your two words, three three words together. All right. Are you ready, Hannah? You say the words. Living. Mm -hmm. With. Uncertainty. I like that. Nice delivery. Uh-huh. Now, what is the uncertainty you're referencing? Well, I think this comes out of the Mueller report and mm. and just like general uh wait, Hanna, you help me out here. <laughs> say, <laughs> say words. Okay. The reason that this was on our minds is because our episode that aired last week was about uncertainty mm-hmm. and this idea that okay, we all know that we don't like uncertainty, that uncertainty makes us uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but then what the episode teaches you is there's this extra thing that you do is the hunger to get out of that situation is so strong, like your desire to just get out of it. And to find certainty. That your mind plays tricks on you. 
you make up a story, you jump to conclusions, you see things that aren't there. So that's why we were thinking, oh, wait. Like with the Mueller report, is that what we've been doing for the last year? Like, do you think so? Were we like connecting, you know, dots that weren't there? Yeah. And it's like, were people just putting things together and sort of creating a picture? And literally, some of the studies are about dots, like giving people (laughs) random sets of dots, subjecting them to a certain kind of uncertainty, like jumping out of an airplane. And then the people who are in the more uncertain situations start to see patterns. It's patterns that aren't there. As the Hmm. researcher says, it's like Jesus in the burnt toast. It's like you start to see Jesus in the burnt toast. It's I a saw little the bit Jesus. Like that. You did? You, I did? I've seen the Jesus toast and I'm like, oh yeah, it's him. Okay, well <laughs> then you're suffering as well from this, yes. from this, di- but this problem. Yeah, but like, it was such a weird week for uncertainty because special counsel Robert Mueller ends the Russia investigation. There is this letter sent from the attorney general, mm-hmm. William Barr, that seems pretty definitive. He mm-hmm. says the investigation is over. Mueller found no conspiracy between Trump and Russia. Wait. But then you realize it's not over. There's still uncertainty because no one has seen this mm-hmm. 300-page report. Exactly. It was like faux certainty for like a day. Okay, but can I just push back on that a minute? That's yeah. another case of he also said this is not an exoneration. So yeah. there's there's mixed messages coming from that and this which is which confuses which me. confuses everybody because we haven't actually seen the Mueller report. We've seen the bar summary of the Mueller report around which there are a lot of question marks, but that's yet another situation where people are jumping to conclusions. It's like we're looking for something to be certain. Absolutely, it's like this. We actually don't know. We're missing lots and lots of information. Yeah, no, it's true because part of what the story is about is about this deep discomfort that we have with uncertainty, yes, but and, and how this need to kind of choose an answer. Like some of the research in the story talks about how after natural disasters, you know, both marriages and divorces spike because hmm. people are so unsettled. They feel a need to just wow. arrive at an answer. And it, it and then the piece goes on to talk about how this need can bring us to really counterproductive um, conclusions that don't allow you to see what is actually going on there. In your episode, Hannah, are there particular insights into how people deal with political uncertainty or uncertainty in their politics? Like, I find myself thinking that the entire uncertainty that surrounds President Trump in so many ways mm-hmm. probably, in my mind, pushes both tribes further into their tribes? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we we didn't include a lot of the political implications in this story, but what the research shows is that people double down when they're just generally feeling uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And in our country, it's like economic uncertainty. There's just like Mm -hmm. a lot of fighting. It just feels like it's one of these moments in the country and in the world, actually, where everything feels up in the air and unsettled. They double down on positions they already held, even if those positions are totally unrelated to the original source of uncertainty. So it's like you're shaken up on one side, you tend to become more of what you were before. Mm. So yeah, the political implications are all over this research. Like they'll give people questionnaires about their feelings of nationalism and then they'll subject them to an uncertainty and then they'll give them that same survey again and see if they've gotten more strident in the positions that they already held. So then, okay, give news consumers or all of us some tips on how to better deal with all this stuff, because it seems as if we're going to continue to be in news cycles in which there are a bunch of unanswered questions about a bunch of things. How can we deal with that better? I think one is just like when you see yourself leaping to an answer, 
you want to question that answer that you feel such a need for. And you can kind of force yourself to, like, what do I know? Open my mind. Can I hear other ways of looking at yeah, this? Or yeah. can I identify other ways of looking at this? And it, it's not going to end. Just thinking about uncertainty in the Russia investigation. Yeah. There are still multiple open investigations into Donald Trump and his businesses. So I guess get ready for even more uncertainty for the foreseeable future, at least around that story. Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests this week, Elise Spiegel and Hannah Rosen. They are the co-host of NPR's Invisibilia, the show about the invisible forces that guide human behavior. Uh, listeners, just a heads up, we're going to talk right now uh, about suicide in the news. That brings me to my three words. They are talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um. There have been some suicides in the news over the last week tied to the Parkland mass shooting and massacre. And it's just all of it is so tragic. And it has me questioning the way that our society talks about these issues and whether or not we're doing it the right way. So, um, you know, recently two survivors of the Parkland mass shooting died by suicide. Uh, 19-year-old Sydney Aiello. She was a senior at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School last year at the time of the shooting. And then also Calvin Desir. He died last weekend in what police describe as an apparent suicide. Um, Also. And then there was the the Sandy Hook father. The Sandy Hook father, Jeremy Jeremy Richmond. Richmond, Yeah. Yeah, So he lost his six-year-old daughter in the Sandy Hook shooting. He was found dead of an apparent suicide earlier this week. All of these things made me say to myself, I don't think we talk about suicide enough because it is so prevalent. You know, there's a new CDC report that found that the suicide rate in 2017 was up about 33% from the numbers in 1999. Uh, The suicide rate is climbing for young people. And we know that suicide is the number one type of gun death here in America. And I don't know, should we spend more time thinking about how to prevent this? That was the main message that the Parkland community took from it. I mean, that was the sort of overwhelming response to these couple of suicides is, did we do this right? Did we talk about this enough? Did we talk about enough, like, what could happen around the anniversary? Like, were the kids watched enough? Like, can you ever have enough? But but also, I mean, it's a very, like, you just have to be very, very careful, I think, about how you do talk about it Mm -hmm. um, so that you don't... Norm it. I mean, it's the same kind of reasoning around now. People are really hesitant to use the names of mass shooters, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's not just about norming. It. Yeah, it's about. I mean, with suicide, it's about not creating a story that a child then wants to step into. Mm. So there, are the, one, some of the interesting research around suicide is like, let's say there's a particular bridge that is a danger. Um, for people dying by suicide or jumping off a bridge. So the the authorities close down that bridge. And then the question is, does that affect anything? Do people just move to the bridge next door? It turns out people do not move to the bridge next door. Like it's just the stories that people and the narratives that people create and walked into are extremely specific, like visually specific, geographically specific. Which is different than saying when you are struggling with something, you should not talk about it. You should absolutely talk about it and process it. Totally. Because there's two conversations you know like how should the media cover this stuff how do we have these macro conversations about it but also the real key 
I think, to prevention are the micro conversations on the personal level between family and friends that see folks suffering. Yeah. But I will say to our listeners, if any of you are in crisis or know someone who is, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at one 800 273 talk that's 8255 or contact that crisis line via text by texting talk to 741741 uh we will oh, go ahead oh, i was going to say one more thing about the parkland thing the reason that situation breaks my heart is i think that there was a sense about the parkland kids that we wanted them to be the heroes of this era of school shooting. Yeah. You somehow wanted the Parkland kids to be the one set of kids who were triumphant and resilient and we're going to write a new story around this yeah. and turn it into a hopeful narrative and I think that's maybe But that was too much work to put on those kids shoulders oh, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Maybe they just needed space and time to grieve exactly. and maybe uh, yeah, I don't know, but it it just felt like on top of having to mourn the loss of your friends, you're elevated to this national platform and expected to be articulate and diligent and have some people attack you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can't even imagine how hard it's been for that entire community. So I am just hoping uh, that there is peace in those kids' future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, it's time for a break. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Zoom. When you can't be there in person, Zoom. Zoom is used by millions to connect face-to-face, across town or around the world. Share files, video, anything, and connect through any device, desktop, laptop, tablet, smartphone, or conference room system. Zoom video conferencing, Zoom rooms, Zoom video webinars, and Zoom phone lets you do business at the speed of Zoom. Visit Zoom online to set up your free account today. Meet happy with Zoom. Support also comes from Scribner, publisher of Heavy, Kiese Lehman's award-winning memoir about growing up black in Mississippi, confronting the weight of secrets he spent a lifetime avoiding, and the complicated depths of love between mother and son. Heavy is a powerful, provocative, raw memoir. Heavy by Kiese Lehman. Available in hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. What does what you eat or don't eat say about who you are and where you fit in? It's the memories and the feelings of nostalgia that is what connects you to your family. It's not chicken or beef or pork. This is Gene Demby of NPR's Code Switch. This week on the menu, food and family. Hello. (laughs) That was weird. Sorry. Hello. Before we get back to the show, I want to make sure that you know what's coming up next week for you. It is a conversation in front of a live audience, me and Karamo Brown, the Karamo Brown, the mental health expert from Queer Eye. He took me to church, literally. Listen to see what I mean. Karamo Brown in our episode out on Tuesday. Okay, back to our weekly wrap. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here this week for an Invisibilia takeover. The two hosts of that show uh, are on my show this week. Hello, Hannah Rosen and Elise Spiegel. Hi. I love how y'all, it's it's such a wonderful tandem duo. We should sing it together. Do it. Hello. No, it's like barbershop. Oh, hello. 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 <laughs> <laughs>
Lovely. Was that good for you too? That was so good. So good. I have a question for you both. Yes. Did you watch the Apple event this week? Let me think. No. Mm-mm. Not even because <laughs> we're it. like in our season. So yes, I'm you're, no, you're working. Not you're working. the Apple event. Yeah. yeah. So this it. Apple event was kind of interesting because, you know, usually they announce a new iPhone or AirPods or whatever. But this time they announced something kind of new for them, uh, an Apple streaming TV service. It was this big, flashy presentation with Steven Spielberg and Oprah and a bunch of other celebrities. And there was this moment where Oprah's on stage talking about whatever show she's going to make for Apple streaming TV in the most dramatic of terms. We have to take. There has never been a moment quite like this one. We have this unique opportunity to rise to our best selves in how we use and choose to use both our technology and our humanity. Really? Yeah. Watching TV is now like a virtue. <laughs> Happy birthday to me. I'm watching <laughs> television. Isn't that so It's just, it's so dramatic. I usually get excited whenever I see Oprah on screen, but this just made me more nervous because I feel like there's too much stuff to watch. So, like, all right, there's going to be this Apple streaming TV service. There's going to be a Disney streaming service called Disney Plus out later this year. I already can't keep up with Hulu and Netflix and the Amazon Prime. It all feels overwhelming, and it's too much, and I can't keep up. So with all these questions and all this nervousness, I called up someone to give me answers. His name is David Lazarus. He's a consumer columnist at the L.A. Times. And I said, David, help me make sense of this. And he said, for starters, you have to understand Apple moving into streaming TV. It's actually a really, really big deal. Because right now you've got a handful of companies that dominate the pay TV horizon. Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, soon to be Disney. And now you've got Apple stepping up with Apple TV Plus, which still has some question marks surrounding it. But generally speaking, we know what it's going to be. And it's basically going to be Amazon in much nicer clothes. (laughs) And an Oprah TV show. With Oprah and Steven Spielberg, as if that's not enough. Yeah. It's this era of, like, peak content. I was reading some things that you were writing. Altogether, there's about 300 streaming services out there right now. This, according to a new report from Deloitte, which looked at the pay TV horizon and came up with some really interesting conclusions, not least of which is that there are now more streaming video subscribers out there than there are traditional cable and satellite subscribers. So we've now seen the switch, and I would say it's an irreversible switch, that pay TV audience is heading increasingly towards streaming. But Deloitte also found that there's a sense of subscription fatigue setting in. Oh, yeah. So my question for you is, what do we know about how people actually consume all this content? I myself am subscribed to a bunch of streaming services, but I watch the same three shows. And you're in no way different from anyone else, Sam. In fact, Nielsen had a really interesting data point that came out where they said that, and they're looking at, you know, all the cable channels that are out there, hundreds of channels, and they said the typical pay TV viewer watches only 17 channels on a regular basis. 17. Whereas with a cable bundle, you might have 200 channels, which means that's a Mm -hmm. lot of channels you're never watching, but you're still paying for. The fact of the matter is there's too much and there's not enough hours in the day to watch it all. Yeah. What I find so interesting, though, you know, you you write about this. There is too much content 
too many streaming services, but there is actually a decrease in the number of actual broadband internet providers, which means that the way that we get to all this content is bottlenecking, which could mean higher prices? Oh, it absolutely will mean higher prices. And you look at the economics of what's happened. As the pay TV industry moves from the traditional fat cable bundles to these new, narrower pay TV streaming services, where do they get their money? It's going to be Internet. Mm. It's going to be high-speed broadband Internet. And if they want to show revenue growth to shareholders, and they do, the key place that they're going to get that is by once or twice a year raising the broadband rates, which is what you're going to need to access all that wonderful content out there. And what are you going to do about it? Well, what's so crazy is I cut the cord years ago uh, to get away from companies like, I don't know, Time Warner Cable. Turns out now the company that I get my Internet through to do all the Hulus and Amazons and Netflixes, it is Time Warner. They're still getting my money even if I'm not paying for for cable from them. Yeah, I'm the same way. I cut the cord a few years ago, and at that time, my broadband subscription fee was about 30 bucks a month. It's now $66 a month. That's mm-hmm. a big jump. I would expect it to be at $100 a month within the next few years. And I'm not... No! Nah, no. I'm not trying to, to be chicken little here. I'm just saying, this is the way we're going, and I think that's probably going to be close to the industry standard. You are hurting my heart right now. I, a lot of people me. are listening to this and thinking, oh, man, I hope he's wrong. And I hope I'm wrong, too. But history backs me up. Well, also what's crazy is I keep hearing about all of the ground being laid for like a streaming battle. Disney fighting with Netflix over whether or not they have their content on different services, different platforms snatching content from places like Hulu to make it their own. We've already seen CBS try to do this with some of their content, like, will there be a great streaming battle at some point, too? I think we're going to see them testing the water here. But look at the CBS streaming service. They brought out the new Star Trek series exclusively on the streaming service, figuring, yeah, okay, yeah. all the Trekkies, we're going to lock them in right out of the gate and then show that this is a viable thing. But as every single network starts trying to do this with a popular show as their calling card, suddenly the viewer has to start making some hard choices because you can't pay $10 a month for everything. And then we'll see these shows finding their way back to Netflix and Amazon mm-hmm. and Apple, for that matter. And yeah. we'll see things re-aggregating in that sense because it's just it is too much. So then, OK, last question. In this era of such flux around streaming and TV everywhere, peak content, give me one piece of advice as a consumer of all this stuff to cope with this abundance and proliferation of all of the streaming things. You mean beyond legal recreational marijuana? (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) I think think the the, the way one copes here is one becomes comfortable with having to make the decisions. You you can't have everything. And in my case, for example, I'm I'm a total nerd. I grew up collecting comic books, and the Marvel movies are like, you know, the coming of the Messiah. Now, will I subscribe to the Disney service to get access to all those great superhero movies? I don't know. Because I've already got a couple of services and I can, you know, somehow learn to live without. And I think that's what we're talking about. We've been spoiled for a long time by having access to everything because everything, like, eventually made its way to HBO, for example. Those days are gone, at least for now. And I guess we'll just be comfortable not seeing a bunch of grown men running around in tights. 
<laughs> All I know is if they take away my reruns of Modern Family, it's on. I will find someone. I know. What are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do? All right, David Lazarus, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Sam. Bye-bye. All right, man. Take care. Thanks again to David Lazarus, consumer columnist at the Los Angeles Times. Elise, Hannah, I mean, hearing that, do you feel like we're in content overload? Are you scared of this new reality? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do. It's too much. I, it also, for me, it makes the stuff that's not absolutely excellent more less appealing. Do you know what I mean? Mm, like, I, yeah, I basically yeah. am going to sit it out. Unless it's absolutely... But what's wrong with that? Like, I feel like podcasting should reach that point. Everything <laughs> should reach that point where, like, the tr- there are these just plethora of truly excellent things that are available for not that much money. Like, when has that ever been true in history? TV is so good now. It's so good now. What are y'all binging right now? Well, I'm very excited that Killing Eve is coming back. I gotta watch that. And... Also, Game of Thrones, obviously, and also Glow is coming back. I, <gasps> I love Glow. June. I love Glow. Love Glow. Oh, I love it. Oh my God! Just flash through my head what I'm actually binging right now, and yeah. it's a little embarrassing because it's ahead. like I'm a middle school girl. I am binging Pen Fifteen and Sex Education. <laughs> Pen Fifteen was so great. It is so weird. Yes, like but it is weird so good. weird. It is the weirdest thing. It is the weirdest thing. <laughs> anyway, okay, we can do this all day. All right. <laughs> It's time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game, Who Said That? BRB. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Walton Family Foundation, where opportunity takes root. More information is available at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. As soon as you wake up, you need the latest. And that is why Up First is here. It is NPR's morning news podcast. In just 10 minutes, you can start your day informed. Listen to Up First on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I am here today with two guests who are doing an Invisibilia takeover. The two hosts of Invisibilia, the show all about the unseen forces that shape our behavior, Hannah Rosen and Elise Spiegel. Welcome, and thank you for being here in a busy time for yourselves because your new season's out right now. I am mm-hmm. glad you both took time to hang out with me today, and I'm so glad that we're about to play my favorite game, who said that? Ooh, who said that? Who said that? Who said that? Isn't it the best? I, I could put that on loop. I know. <laughs> I need that. Who said that? That, that should be my, like, a ringtone. That's oh, like make awesome. it your ringtone. Make it your ringtone for sure. So you know how this game is played. I share a quote from the week. You both have to guess who said that, or at least get the story that I'm referring to, get a keyword. The winner gets nothing. But I'm wondering today, because you both host the same show together and you're like partners in crime, Will you both be able to actually be competitive against the other? Are you kidding? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Then let's go. First quote. Ready? Yes. All right. The quote is, mission managers decided to adjust the assignments due in part to spacesuit availability on the station. Who said that? Uh, Santa Claus? Who makes spacesuits? Uh, Elon, Elon Musk? Musk? No. Oh, my God. No. The, the the arm of the federal government that deals with spacesuits. NASA? Yes. 
<laughs> so that quote is from a NASA statement. There were these reports from NASA for weeks that they were going to have an all-women spacewalk. Uh, mm. Two women walking in space. But then they found out a few days ago that they didn't have enough suits in the right size for the women. Oh, would they uh, fat shame the women? Like, oh, the, I'm sorry, you're a little too big for they this had, suit. They had to switch out one of the women for a man. Oh, my So now gosh. one of these women is not going to do they the spacewalk. They only had one suit? That's deep, actually. You know, I don't know if it was just one suit, but the suits they had weren't in the right size. Interesting. Um, that is yeah. actually kind of... Isn't that a metaphor for life? Yes. <laughs> I know, right? It is. So... It was too late, There's I guess, to make the new suit and get it back up into space. So they just swapped out one woman for a man. But if you're him, like, what are you supposed to be like? Hey, guy. Hey, I'm an ally, ally, <laughs> ally here. <laughs> space ally. Yeah. So, Hannah, you're up one zip. How does it feel? Wait, why is she up one she zip? She said NASA first. She said NASA first. That is the right. <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> that would give her that a point. That would give her a point. Right, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Next quote. Fine. Ready? All right. The next quote is, guys, until they're 33, are really useless. Oprah? <laughs> I'm just gonna answer. Just get Oprah a keyword. Uh, um, this okay. This is guys, about until they're thirty. What is a space in which you might be looking at the ages of potential suitors? What dating? kind of dating? What kind of dating? Online dating. Give me some keywords and Tinder? buzzwords. Tinder. Yes. Yes. Tinder. But who's uh, the woman who said the woman that? is J Lo? You didn't uh, see this this week. So. Tinder, uh, trying to get the word out about Tinder, they had this video called the Tinder Swipe Session. And it was this YouTube video where, like, a celebrity helps a rando person in the world figure out their Tinder profile. Uh-huh. <laughs> so this young woman is in a room, and J-Lo takes over her Tinder. And that she's giving funny. her love advice while she's swiping left and right. Okay. We have that J-Lo tape. Let's listen. You have a guy named Maurice, okay? He's 29. Guys until they're 33 are really useless. If you store... <laughs> Do you agree with J-Lo on that one? I'm 34, so you, it's not going to hurt my feelings. <laughs> I can't answer that question. I have it two depends. Sons. <laughs> I have two sons under the age yeah. of 33, so okay. I really can't answer okay. that question. Yeah. I've been trying to, like, I'm working on it. I'm, like, showing them the Gillette ads. I'm, like, talking yeah. all about it so that they become useful before <laughs> 33. I'm working on it so hard. When it's time for them to Tinder, will you help them curate their profiles? Yes, but even before <laughs> that, I will help them curate their souls, Sam. Yes. It's not about their profile. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, we can stay here all day, but we have one more quote okay. for the game. You ready? This is the last quote for all the marbles. Weather's going to be turnt. Right, Chris? There's a viral video this week that took the internet by storm. Another quote from this video is, It is testing week, and it is time to slay all day. Yeet! Stay woke, be on fleek, and get that Gucci breakfast. That's not Cardi B. <laughs> that would have been even more fun. It's not. Uh, I should probably just tell you both because I'm guessing you have no idea. Yeah, and that way, is. Hannah won't get a point. <laughs> She's already which won. Which is very, very important. No. <laughs> I know. These are some news anchors at a station called WTOL in Toledo, Ohio. And they made this little mock newscast that only aired online devoted to inspiring young kids in the schools there who were going to take some standardized tests. 
And to get them motivated for the test, they delivered their news and weather report uh, in the language of the youth. We actually <laughs> have God, the tape. That's so oh, I want to hear it. Let's play it. Good morning, TPS students. It is testing week, and it's time to slay all day. Yeet. Stay woke, beyond sleep, and get that Gucci breakfast. Goals. <laughs> Say bye, Felicia, to that testing stress. Weather's going to be turned, right, Chris? Oh yes. Toledo weather going to be V-lit during testing week. A hundo P chance of success. You've got this, kids. Steve, how about that traffic? Are we looking? Oh, oh my God. Oh. Number one, Cardi B is going to sue them because that's she her, should. That's that her is trademark her phrase. phrase. Exactly. That is the best thing I ever heard in my whole entire life. <laughs> I've never heard anything more pleasurable than that video ever in my life. That was amazing. It seemed like they're kind of embarrassed. So executives at the news station and the reporters involved did not respond to requests for comment about this thing. And on Twitter, the station, WTOL, their sports director, Jordan Stack, he explained that the clip was meant for the web only and it never hit the air. They're kind of walking this back. I think they're like, this didn't really work out well. That's the most embarrassing thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Well, um, I hate to tell you this, Elise, but yeah, I know. I knew that she was she's 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 the smart one. No hey god, now. I barely hey I knew nothing. That was that was But because you both host the same show, you can share the win, right? No, she's gonna lord this over me for like the next <laughs> three weeks, but that's all right. It's all right. It's all right. So that concludes who said that. Now it's time to end the show as we do every week. We ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Let's listen. Hi Sam I- my name is Clara, and I'm six years old. Hi, Sam. I'm four years old, and I'm and and my best time of the week. My best time of the week was was going to Arkansas. Was what did we do today? <laughs> <laughs> we went to the store. Getting cupcakes. Bye. Bye. Hi, Sam. This is Liz from Chicago. The best thing that happened to me this week is that I bought a plane ticket for my sister to come out and celebrate with me at my birthday party. And suddenly, I'm super excited about turning 40. The best thing that happened to me this week was watching my mom finish her second marathon at the Los Angeles Marathon. Best part of my week was getting to visit Japan and eat some of the best sushi I've ever had. My best thing this week is getting to celebrate my wife Rebecca being cancer-free for 10 years. The best thing that happened to me this week was that I took some time from work to visit my three-year-old son's daycare, where I read his favorite story, Curious George, to him and his friends. Hey, Sam and the crew, this is Kate calling from Pennsylvania. My best thing this week is that I found the lost sock. I've been looking for it for six months. I was listening to your podcast, doing some chores, and it just fell out of a load of laundry. No idea where it came from. So excited, did a dance, and called you immediately. Hey, Sam. This is Sasha from Minneapolis, Minnesota. The best thing that happened to me this week is that my son, who has autism, who has struggled with schooling and not being able to go to school, finished his third quarter in seventh grade with all C's and an A-plus in language arts. And I'm so proud of him. I can't even think about it without crying. Thank you. Thanks for the show. Love your show. Have a great week. Bye. That was a really good batch oh, this week. That oh my was goodness. Like beautiful. 
Thanks to all the folks you heard there, Clara and Lydia. We didn't hear Lydia say her name. She was a younger one in uh, those duo of children at the top. And their mom, Lauren. Uh, thanks to Liz, Lisa, Aisha, Eric, Kim, Kate, and Sasha. So much good stuff in there. And listeners, we listen to all of these that come in. Keep sharing them. Just send me uh, an email with a voice file to samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. Uh, now it's time for me to say goodbye to two of the best things in my my week, my guest, Elise and Hannah, the two hosts of NPR's Invisibilia. Their new season is out now, and I'm asking you both right now to devote your entire next season to Diana Ross. All right, done. done. That just saved us a lot of story searching. <laughs> so there's also this video from the party she had this week. Everyone is there, right? all the celebrities. But I guess the party's wrapping up, and you hear someone yell out, Is Beyonce still here? Is Beyonce are you still here? Beyonce's like, yeah. Uh, and they just drag Beyonce to a mic and she serenades Diana Ross impromptu. Happy birthday, Miss Ross. Oh, man. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> this week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Steve Nelson is our director of programming. Our fearless editors are Jordana Hochman and Alex McCall. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. All right, listeners, till next time, channel some big Diana Ross energy. Thank you for listening to It's Been a Minute. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. I love Oprah, and I once sat on her lap. True story. Well, shut up. No. What? Is, I'm not going to shut up. Tell me the whole story right now. Okay. So people m- pro- might not know this about Oprah, but <laughs> she began her career. Her real last name is Spiegel. <laughs> and she's my mother. Yes. Okay. So she began her career, basically, or, or like one of the early parts of her career was in Baltimore, which is where I'm from, mm-hmm. and she had a show called People Are Talking with mm-hmm. Eddie Gutman. Guess who was friends with Eddie Gutman's daughter, Jennifer Gutman? You, you have th- three guesses. Okay, it's you. me. Oh, <laughs> well, you got it on the first try because you're uh-huh. smart and I a try. professional. I try. <laughs> anyway, so um, one day we, I like went to because like Jennifer I, brought you to the show. You sat on Oprah's lap. The there end. you go. <laughs> <laughs> what, she not, what does she smell like? like? Did you see my problems? Oh, what does she smell like? Does she wear perfume? I don't remember. I didn't s- smell Oprah. That's weird. Smells are the memories that last the longest. I not no. Not gonna smell <laughs> okay. Oprah. That's okay. just messed up. Floral perfume. She's a god. Vanilla. <laughs> oh please.